So uh, today I'm talking to Rock. Rock is uh, from New York, but he has lived all over the U.S., born in uh, Oakland, California, raised by a poor single mom that wasn't always single. He was abused by one of his stepfathers. He almost, well, he planned to kill him. Luckily, he didn't do Rock does podcasts. He has written his book, like a kind of like a biography. And uh, he's a data analyst. He's worked for Enron, Pfizer, AT&T, not maybe the most popular names of companies. And uh, yeah, we kind of discussed the American dream, how he got stuck up in that uh, education, segregation, uh, race, poverty, a lot of, lot of different things. Uh, Islam versus Christianity and uh, yeah, how parents are role models and when they are not role models and uh, yeah, life in general. So that was a really interesting talk. Uh, Rock is in, and his his girlfriend are in an open relationship. He told me a little bit about that as well, which I found very interesting. And yeah, guys, I hope you enjoy. And the sponsor that is the Oat Bar Prague Cipher Tower Twenty One, available also for delivery on Walt and Bolt. Open during the week from eight to three o'clock, except Fridays to one thirty, Saturdays to one thirty, and I think they're going to be open on Sundays as well. So check that out. The Oat Bar, you can find them on social media. It's one of the most popular places in Prague. Hello, welcome, Rock. Hey, how you doing? Good, and you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm in Prague. I'm not in New York, so yeah. it's a good feeling. It's a great feeling. I love the city. Yeah, I, I, um, um, I need your help with your names. Okay, you got a few of them. I have quite a few of them. But you call yourself Rock. I call myself Rock. Every well, I don't call myself anything. Everyone yeah, people calls call you Rock. Yeah, yeah. Um, but with a just with a C, not like a Rock with a K. Yes, RLC. Mm. You know, it's funny because it's not a real name, right? It's a nickname. You can spell it however you want, but for whatever reason, uh, R-O-C-K doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. Mm. So R-O-C, it's like, yeah, that that looks and feels right. I don't know why, but that feels like me. And so, yeah, here we go. Well, what's, if I look you up in the IRS or somewhere, well, yes, what would my, be your name? My government name. Um, on my birth certificate, and that's actually a whole story within itself, but my name is Rahman Hassan Al-Sufi Abdullah Wangozi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the last one, Wangozi, that's Wangozi. the family. That's Your father shares that name. Your, yes. Ruti Wangozi. He's yes. a musician. He's a musician, but that's not our family. That's our family name now, but... He assumed that name in 68, 69. Mm-hmm. He changed his name legally. Um, that was a bit of an issue with his family that I found out later on. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I tease I tease him um, because I tell him that I'm actually the first one Gozi. And he was like, what do you mean? I gave you that name. I'm like, yeah, but I was born with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. He, he adopted it yeah, you on adopted a paper. It. I yeah. was born with it. So yeah. I'm, I'm like a real one. Um <laughs> So he 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 thinks it's funny. It it kind of annoys him a bit, um, and I have found that annoying my father is something that gives me like a a nice cheap thrill. Yeah. I didn't realize I liked it that much, but I actually really really love it. <laughs> <laughs> but He's you you but we we've been emailing you know so so we're here in Prague. You you're staying here in Prague now for three weeks. Yes, uh, you've been here a lot of times before. Yes, countless times. I can't remember all the times yeah. that I've been here because the beer is that good. Yeah. And we were emailing, and I actually found out that you, um, 
in one of the emails uh, that you sent me, there was uh, Rocco. Yes. Was your name? And I asked you if this is Rocco Sifretti, the porn star that <laughs> the gra- the Rocco the Great, the great porn star uh, who yeah who actually does a lot of work here in Prague yeah. in uh, Budapest there. Yeah, and 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 you admitted it. Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. I'm very very open. Um, pun intended. We'll get to that. Um, I'm very open with sex, sexuality. I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you. Um, when I was 19. Uh, I actually consider going into porn. Uh-huh. I mean, every every guy considers yeah, yeah, going it's into a dream, porn. It's a dream job when yeah, you're a teenager. But, yeah, but I actually did research. Uh-huh. I did research. I talked to people. I, I met um, Nina Hartley. Uh, really? Classic porn star. Yeah, yeah she came to... Um, my sophomore year in college, I went to San Francisco State, mm-hmm. and I took a class called... I took two sex classes. Um, uh, it was like the biology of sex... And then human sexu- uh, sexuality, so like variations of, of human sexuality. And so uh, Nina came and she spoke. She graduated from San Francisco State. Um, and so she came and spoke. And she spoke about her career, growing up, um, sex in, in general. Uh, you know, obviously she's just very sex positive, mm. a very sex positive person. Um, she spoke about open relationships and being... Um, at the time, I guess she considered herself, uh, you know, bisexual. That's, you know, we only had like three versions of it then. You know, mm. you had, you know, gay, straight, and bisexual. Yeah. Um, seemed like enough, but, you know, it's not my story. So, um, yeah, I, I I did research because sex is, I mean, obviously that's how, how we all got here. Um, it really motivates I mean, we can get into Freud. I mean, he wrote mm-hmm. books and became famous, you know, so I won't I won't go over that. Um, but I was really interested in it. I believe that porn stars are like athletes. I believe that they are sexual athletes. A lot of people can be very moralistic about porn and it's evil and it's degrading and, you know, you, you, you tear your body up. And I'm like, yeah, same as American football. Mm-hmm. Or a coal miner. Or, or a coal miner mm-hmm. or anything. It's like you are giving your body to the corporate machine mm. to make money for whatever reason. Um, it damages you physically. It damages le- It damages you mentally, emotionally, so many things. Um, why porn stars are sort of demonized given this extra own. demonization. It's like, yeah, I mean, drugs. Okay. Let's talk about these athletes, how many drugs they take to get out and perform. Mm. Um, and they're literally sacrificing their bodies for our entertainment, doing unnatural things mm. for money. So we can eat chicken wings and watch Super Bowl. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So porn stars, you know, um, I have a lot of respect for porn stars. But why did you not go into I mean, what what was the outcome I, of your research? I, I didn't. My, the outcome was that um, guys in porn don't make that much money, mm. you know, unless you're producing. Um, it's difficult for guys to get into the business because there are there are a handful of guys in the business and hundreds and thousands of girls and new girls showing up every day. Um, and so it's not easy for guys, you know, to to get in. Um, also because porn is not real. Mm. They, well, I shouldn't say not real. Uh, porn is an exaggeration of reality Mm. and 
despite the stereotypes, I'm not necessarily exaggerated in the places that I would probably need to be exaggerated <laughs> to be a starring porn star. But I don't know. That was that was the the '90s. Now all body shapes, and mm. you know, I'm average, I guess. I don't mm. know. Mm. I've had no complaints. <laughs> no. Um, and then also just 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 thinking about um, just thinking about my life from that moment on. Right, because I was very aware. This was the the early days of the of the internet, and I knew all of this is going to live forever. Yeah, it's going to be written in ink. Mm. Thinking about okay, what happens when you have kids? I'm comfortable with it, but maybe that's not something that they're comfortable with, and that puts a burden and responsibility on someone who had nothing to do with it. Mm. Um. And I have all sorts of interests. I mean, I thought about being a rapper at one point in time. I make music. I'm great at making music. I'm great at having sex. Mm. Um, but I didn't. I didn't want to make a job out of mm. either one of them. I wanted to just enjoy it. Mm. I, I, um, because I, I listened to, yeah. So, <clears throat> well, I listened to the. You, you have your own podcast. Yeah. You kind of run it on and off. I mean, you, yeah. it, it comes and goes, you know, it but it's always does. there. Yes. And you you did, you did talked to your dad and you talked to your mom on it. Mm -hmm. This was quite interesting. Uh, and uh, I've actually thought about the same. I've been thinking about just for my own purposes to kind of document conversation with my parents because yes. I want to have something when they leave, you know. Yes. And, uh, and they have, of course, lived, like your parents, a very different life than I did. Mm -hmm. But what I, what I found interesting is that, as you mentioned now when you're talking about your name, that your father adopts a Muslim name mm -hmm. in, in 68, 69. Mm -hmm. But your mom is extremely Christian or, you know, she goes to church. It's, it's a big part of her family background. Yes. And then <clears throat> you have these people meeting each other and, and getting married from mm -hmm. two very different opposite i mean when i listened to you that it didn't sound very religious it sounded more as an em embracing of a culture yes but how did this work out how can you have a, well, a, a a a a girl christian girl marrying a muslim guy okay well it didn't work um, <laughs> <laughs> uh you know they they eventually got divorced um but they're great friends that that's one thing i love about my parents um and it it has colored my view of relationships, um, even though they were, you know, divorced. And I kind of remember some of the things that led up to it. I was like three. Um, but after the divorce, they were always like very cool with each other. Mm. Um, even like to this day, my mother considers my father one of her best friends. Mm. My father, whenever he goes to Florida and wants to visit, he can go and stay. And, um, you know, my mother's family adores him. My father's like the sweetest guy. Um, great guy. Um, and so there was no, there was no contention. It was just, we don't work as partners, mm. but I have nothing personal against you. Um, I, the reason why it's funny that you, 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 you mentioned it this way is because the reason why I interviewed my father, cause I interviewed my father before my mother, it was shortly after, I want to say my 40th birthday. Mm. After one of my birthdays, I realized that I had a bunch of questions that, well, I didn't have a bunch of questions, but there were a lot of the things that created the environment for me to be alive that I never knew the answers of, right? As kids, we don't really care about our parents as people. 
Mm. It's not who they are. They're our parents. They have a job. They have a responsibility. Um, but after I became a father, understanding the relationship that I have with my daughter, my responsibilities, still remembering that I had 27 years, you know, before she, you know, came to this place, to this earth, um, my own wishes, my own dreams and desires, it gave me more compassion for my parents. Understanding that they actually had a life that was not just about raising you. Yeah, a Mm. whole life, all these experiences, you know, highs, lows, traumas, triumphs um, that created the environment for me. My father didn't have a great relationship with his parents. Mm. And so he left California and moved up to, you know, Portland, Oregon to study music. He wanted to be a musician. My mother, um, she's the ninth of 12, 13 kids. Um, so, you know, buried in the middle, she wanted to sort of get out and escape her family. Mm. Um, and so they met in college. They were both musicians. They were in the, in the music program, um, program. They, they both played piano. And so they sort of bonded that way. Mm. Um, my father was a bit of a dreamer, um, very charismatic guy. So I imagine 19, 20 years old, he's, you know, I think about myself at 19 or 20. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. I could probably see how he was moving moving through the world here. Um, and they got together. My mother, is, it's very interesting. I can understand why my father liked my mother. She came from a, you know, a very strong, proud family. Uh, my father was searching for a lot of pride. I mean, it's the late 60s, early 70s. And so pride, black pride was, mm-hmm. you know, all it was in the air. My family in Oakland um, is sort of the stereotypical inner city family that people, you know, imagine. You know, there's drugs, there's alcoholism, there's just, you know, so many mm. you know, different things, a very negative um, and sort of poverty-driven mentality. Um, my mother's family is very much, there's a pride there. There is, you know, deeply religious, um, you know, people have, don't have money, but the reputation of my family in Portland, Oregon, where, where they're from, was that, oh, the Mitchells, I don't know how they're doing it, but they're doing it at a high level. Everyone dressed well, everyone um, carried themselves with a certain air mm. of superiority mm. and not superior to other people and not arrogantly not superior, arrogant yeah. that way well Ele- maybe. Ele- elegant more yeah there's mm. some arrogance mm. but it's very it's very internal you mm. just are very proud of your, yourself and so i can see how my my father was very attracted to my mother that way i can see how my mother was attracted to my father because my father's a dreamer mm. and he has great vision is that boyfriend that is exciting around yeah. 20 but he's a nightmare when you're 35 yeah well, he if became, he's still dreaming, he became a nightmare around 22, 23, yeah. shortly after they got but, married. But but the religious part of it, because mm-hmm. you know, like now, if we if we talk about, um, I mean, I guess American society is very divided today, but mm-hmm. and it's always to some extent all societies are somehow divided. But one of the divisions is Islam. You know, like it's it's. I think Islam has been kind of pictured as the uh, cause of a lot of evil and terrorism yes. and stuff like that, and yes. then and so when I listen to that, I was just so 
how did your mom's parents approve that she would marry a Muslim guy? And actually, the fact is that Islam has a bad name that doesn't yeah. necessarily deserve, but yeah. that's a whole so, different thing. So, um, you know, my father actually grew up Christian. Mm. Um, his parents, my great-grandparents, who actually had the, the honor of knowing, um, basic Christians. Uh, my father grew up in that tradition, so he was able to relate, you know, to all of those things. Um, the the Muslim thing was kind of new mm. at the time. Um, you sort of had, I think people were somewhat familiar with, you know, Malcolm X and um, Elijah Muhammad and sort of the, the, the black Muslim uh, tradition that was, you know, really burgeoning in the United States, which is different from, you know, let's say Orthodox Islam, Sunni and, and, and Shia some other, you know, um, sex. Um, so they weren't really familiar with that. And my father um, was, a tr he's a traditional Muslim, right? He's a traditional Muslim. And so they didn't, they didn't mind it um, so much. I think, I, 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 th I don't know much about it, but everyone knows that you can't tell my mother much of anything. She has her mind made up and she's going to do what she wants to do. And then my father's a great guy. And so, um, no one was really unhappy about it. Mm. Um, it didn't work. They didn't go to church on Sundays together, I guess. No, no. And they, and she, uh, your mom didn't go to the mosque. No. But your father, you to, I, I, I heard in your your father was praying. I mean, he was doing the the, yeah. the routines. And, yeah, he was. And, yeah. Oh my God, I'm waking up five you, in the morning. I'm and, getting the I'm getting flashbacks now. PTSD yeah. of those early mornings. I I would tell him, um, do we have to pray this morning? Won't God understand that we're tired? We're going to pray three or four more times today. So can we skip this one? Um, that didn't go over well. Um, but I, I, I'm actually glad that he insisted upon it because now I have this story. Mm. Um, I can appreciate the discipline that he, he tried to bring. Um, the, the religion thing didn't work, and it didn't work because my father in my opinion, had a, a pretty immature perspective on, on Islam. Mm. Um, he wanted, he saw, oh, you can have four wives. So he wanted four or five wives. And my mother was like, fuck that. <laughs> what are you talking about? You're barely taking care of this one right now. Like, you know, um, it wasn't the religion that broke them up. It's the fact that they are both very similar in that they make up their mind to do something and you can't talk them out of it. And it was a conflict because now I'm here, you know, and so my mother is saying, we have a, a family responsibility. We have this child, we're married. Um, and so she's defaulting back to her training. You know, she's very responsible. She has a job and she's going to do her job. Whereas my father was very much a dreamer. He never really had the support from his family. He always sort of felt alone and isolated um, in pursuing his art or pursuing his spirituality. Um, and so he became very dogmatic in his pursuit of these things. And it wasn't, there wasn't anything anyone could do then or now to dissuade him from doing what he wants to do. Mm. Um, they were young, 22 and 24, 
you know, early 20s when they got married. So, of course, they didn't have good conflict resolution skills. They're coming from families that don't have good conflict resolution skills. No one was talking about open communication and going to therapy. And so, yeah, it, it didn't work out. You know, it's and it's typical. all like, and as you say, I mean, you're there, you're three, four years old. Yeah. And, and, and by, you know, like I can imagine that life was just about making, putting food on the table and, yes. and, and roof over your head. You know, yes. like you, you can't really, it's a, it's a different, it's a different time, you know, like when you, when you have that responsibility, like, like, like I think I felt from your mother that she had like then, um, that comes first. Yes. It's not about going to therapy. It's no. about going to work. Your feelings don't matter yeah. to the job that you have to do. Mm. Um, but then, so you, you grow up with your mom as a, well, she wasn't a single mom all the time, but because right. there's a, you wrote a book as well. Yes, I did. What's the name of the book? It's called Inner Demons, Blazing the Path to Happiness. It's my life story from five to 35. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, I read, I read most of it and, and it's an interesting part of it when your, your mom actually, um, um. She starts seeing this guy, Otis. Yes. Um, so obviously it starts at five. There were five years that preceded it, mm. um, the opening of the book. Um, but I opened the book with, um, the quote is, if I can remember, what would have happened to me if I killed Otis O'Neill? Yes, that's how it opens. Yeah. Otis, that was my stepfather. Mm. And that's how I opened the book. Because I had an open plot to kill my stepfather. Mm. And... I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't five at the time. The first chapter is a bit of a, um, an overview of what you're going to get in the book. Um, so I was having those thoughts roughly around seven or eight, I would imagine, mm. maybe nine. But no, there was an open plot to kill my stepfather. He was very abusive. Um, in which way? Um, just physically. Mm. So. I don't, I don't know the tradition or the cultures of the people who are listening to this, but um, in America, we're very religious, um, and there's a passage in the Bible, spare the rod, spoil the child. Um, and so in that tradition, people don't spare the rod, right? So getting spankings, and particularly with black people, we're very religious, um, sort of culturally, very conservative in a lot of ways culturally, um, yeah, getting spankings or whoopings was common. Mm -hmm. um, and so I didn't, it took me a while to understand and call it abuse because I was used to getting whoopings, right? I was used to being hit in, in certain ways when you, you mess up or when you disappoint your parents or whatever, yeah, here comes the belt or here comes the switch. Mm. I've been hit with switches before. What's There's, a switch? A switch is basically a branch or a vine from, mm -hmm. a, from a tree. Um, I was explaining to Jen. Um, so here in the Czech Republic, there's a tradition here at Easter where they get like little willow branches uh, and, spank. and spank, you know, ceremonially, you know, in a ceremony, um, satirically, they spank women, young women to keep them healthy and fertile and, and mm -hmm. whatever. So my girlfriend, um, she buys one of these things and they're like these dry willow branches braided up very nicely. And so I'm explaining to her the 
science and the difference between a dry switch and a nice green supple switch. Mm-hmm. And if you're picking a switch, you want a dry one. Mm-hmm. You don't want something nice and supple that flexes with the wind. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but, but 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 talking about this abuse, just yeah. because you say like in 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 amongst black people there was a a tradition of of being conservative and and yes. and, and this authority. Yeah, was that something so that you saw around you? Yeah, in yeah. other kids as well. Everyone, uh-huh. everyone. You know, I grew up in the seventies and eighties. We mm. were all getting our asses kicked. Mm. I mean, that's just what it was. And and I don't want to just make it seem like you know it was just black people. Everyone in America mm-hmm. does this. Um, particularly when you are more religious, mm-hmm. when you tend to be poorer, you have a, a a very harsh reality. Reality has treated you um, harshly, and that colors your psychology. You know, you, you know. I'm missing the word here, but your perspective and your outlook and how you go about living your life and raising your kids. And so I was used to it. It took me a while to realize that what he was doing was excessive, you know, and that there was a a meanness and a maliciousness to it. It wasn't um, just discipline. It wasn't it wasn't just discipline. Mm-hmm. There were I've 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 been beaten for things that um it was just too much. Mm. I didn't earn I didn't earn what it what it was that I got, and after a while, it, um, I was I mean I've always been an aggressive person. Um, you bring conflict to me, and we're gonna fight. Fine, um, and so it poured a lot of gasoline on certain character traits and, and tendencies that I already have. Um, so it got to a point where I'm like, I need to eliminate this problem. This is, this is just a problem. One plus one equals two. And so I need to solve this problem. And so I thought about killing him. Mm. If we had a gun in the house, he would have been shot. But we didn't have a gun. Um, so I'm like, a knife? Uh, yeah, he can probably overpower me with a knife. So I'm like, okay. I don't know exactly how I'm going to oh. do it, but it's going to be done. Mm. Um, thankfully for everyone, um, he ended up breaking up you know, we're putting this out a couple of months later. He got a settlement from, he was injured on on the job. I forget what it was. So he got a settlement, got money. And so he didn't need us anymore. So he kind of put us out. So he was kind of living off your mom um, or, 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 or what? Like Not necessarily living off of her, mm-hmm. but, you know, obviously her income was his income, the mm-hmm. family income. He wanted to control that. There were fights about that. Um, but as soon as he got a little extra money, he didn't want to share it. He didn't need us. Mm-hmm. He could, you know, he had the money to buy whatever real estate he wanted. And so he didn't need us. He was done with us. And I said, you know, it, it was fine. Um, probably saved his life. Mm. Saved the the course and the direction of my life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But did, did uh, where was your mom? And I mean, did your mom see this in the same way as you? I mean, have you talked to your mom about this later on? Yeah, you know, I, like- I, I talked. I talked to her about it. We talk about it now. We laugh about it. Mm. Um, she's really one of my best friends. Um, at the time, she was young. You know, she was in her twenties. So you have to 
kind of give that as a caveat. You have to give the caveat of her growing up in a very religious home um, and tradition. Spankings and whoopings were common. She received them. She gave them. Mm. So she probably didn't understand and appreciate the severity of it mm. and what it was doing to my psyche. Um, that she would soon come to find out. Mm-hmm. You know, so. But how 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 is it when you, if you think back on it now, that that he abused you in this way and and was violent and and yeah, as you said, you considered killing him. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this left a permanent mark on you somehow? That's yeah, something that you bring with you even nowadays. Yeah, yeah. I um I hate bullies. I'm I'm not that big. I'm what five nine, about a hundred and. 5560 pounds now um but i hate bullies um and so i tend to go after them mm-hmm. um psychologically emotionally i'm very manipulative um and so um whenever i see people being bullied or i'm coming to the rescue mm-hmm. um i've been on the subway here in new york which is when well, i hear but back in New York, which is, you know, kind of dangerous and people have been harassed and attacked. And I'm the guy who's like, mm, nope, not today. Mm-hmm. Not today. Has you it know. gotten into, you, you into trouble? No. No? No. You know. The bully always loses. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't get into fights. I, I think a lot of it is just simply, it's the energy and the perspective. Mm. That's, I was on a, I was on a, a subway platform and this guy, clearly mentally disturbed, was yelling at these old women right just in their face and yelling at them and they're cowering and you know it's a crowded platform and no one is doing anything Mm. and i'm looking around like because i just get here and no one is doing anything so i walk up and i grab the guy on the shoulder i'm like you can't be yelling at her like that so he starts yelling at me and i'm like listen you can say whatever it is that you want to me you're not going to harass these women period Mm. he starts yelling and people are like oh maybe you should just let him and i'm like no fuck that you know, and, and there's there's too much of that going on in New York right now. Like there was a, a story, you know, a year ago, a woman was not, like pushed down on the platform and, and, you know, this guy was, you know, trying to rape her mm-hmm. on a platform and people had their cameras out. That's, that's the crazy thing that, 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 that people are so busy capturing something for TikTok yeah. that they fail to help a fellow human. It's it's But it's interesting here because... Um, I actually talked to Jen, your girlfriend, mm-hmm. on because I recorded with her also. Sure. We were talking about this uh, attitude in New York, like it's it's everyone is in such a hurry, everyone is so aggressive, everyone is so much pushing yeah. to make space for themselves. Yeah, and and it's funny because it's it's in some way here. I think for very different reasons. I think I, I think uh, here people just I don't know they. They just go around their day being grumpy somehow, and mm-hmm. they they you know so you you and you see this. I, I when I see like a homeless guy lying on the street, I I want I want to help him up. I want to you know moving from the traffic, you know, and and, yeah. and 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 when I do this, people look at me like I'm a freak. Yeah, because you're What's European. Wrong with you? That's yeah. not the American way. No, you got to step over. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, I never hit my daughter. Mm. Um, my my father never spanked me. Mm. So that's. That's one thing. Um, and that would have been, I mean, that's a, that's 
a variable within itself. But given the experience that I had with my stepfather, I never hit my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe in hitting kids at all. Um, I believe in discipline, firm discipline. Um, but I think it's a weakness to hit a child. Like you, I, I don't understand this. Like you mean to tell me that you, a fully functioning adult, can't psycho, you know, psychologically manipulate a child? Yeah, you, can't you need, to, your, you need yeah. to use your fists. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't explain or, 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 or manipulate a child to do what you want. You have to beat them to mm. get compliance. Mm. That's a weakness. But is that, isn't that, I mean, when I read in your book about this guy, it sounded like, for me, it's, he sounded like a stereotype of someone who was insecure, unhappy about where he had made it in life. Yes. And he just wanted to be sure that no one would outshine him. Yes. No and, one could outsmart him. Yes. And, and, one of the things that I wanted to do, I didn't want him to be a caricature, mm. right? I didn't want to paint him as a bad and evil guy because one of the things that happened after the, after the, uh, the divorce with my mother is that, you know, he ended up owing her a lot of money mm. that he didn't have. So he became her handyman and we bought a house and he would come and fix the things and he, so he was around. Mm. And my mother... God bless her soul. I mean, she's not dead, but, you know, um, she's a good Christian woman. There's no animosity there. And she talked to him, and they were friends, and, you know, they were able to reconcile certain harms and and whatnot. So, but I I wanted to, in the book, I I spent a lot of time talking about what I knew of him Mm. and his upbringing. He grew up in Arkansas Mm. in the 40s, you know, and so... I imagine what it must have been like for a young black boy growing up in Arkansas in the 30s, 40s, and 30s, 40s. I forget when he was born. Well, no, because he was in his 40s in the 80s. So sometime in the 40s he was born. So I just imagine what it must have been like Mm. for him to grow up in that environment, not having options, you know, the physical abuse that he must have endured. And... You know, you fast forward, and here's a person who doesn't know any different. Uh, and he's he thinks this is how it should be. This is how it should be. Mm-hmm. He's trying to provide discipline mm-hmm. to a young black boy growing up in a violent city at a violent time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I wanted to I wanted to paint that full picture um, to help understand him as a person. When you say what what, what are some of the things that I've, I've taken from that is compassion. Mm. for the legacy of pain and trauma. Uh, the flaws that that, that inflicts, people carry yeah. generation mm. after generation after generation. Families um, are broken and are in a poverty mentality. Mm. Maybe financially, maybe not financially, mm. you know, but just a mentality of poverty and of scarcity and of fear and insecurity. Um, and I want to highlight that. Um because we all have these things and someone has to take it upon themselves to be the change in their family. Mm. And I know for myself, I vow to never hit my daughter. Mm. I know that she will never hit her children. And so at least with me, you broke the chain in a way that chain is broken. Mm. And that's what I've, I, I took from, from from that experience, but you you, um, 
We were talking in the car on the way here, actually. We were talking about that uh, this podcast has a limo service. Mm-hmm. It's like okay. a strip club, you know. Yeah. You, get, you get picked <laughs> up, you know. No, uh, but we were talking about it in the car, how how somehow these things, like you're mentioning now with, with, with this guy, for example, that that you kind of get a... You kind of breed into the family somehow a social status or a mindset mm-hmm. or traditions or habits. Mm-hmm. And 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 very often it it that means that generation after generation after generation you you kind of you're stuck within those limitations. You don't know the, anything yeah, else. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and how unconscious it is mm-hmm. because you think, yeah, I come from a poor family, so I guess it's my destiny to be poor, or, yes. or my, you know, my father was a violent man. I need to be violent, you know. Yeah. Like it's it's such a, it's such a rich tradition that kind of gets into the families. Mm-hmm. And but you mentioned like, for I mean, and you're in Oakland. Oakland is a crime city. There's a lot of murders, like 120 murders per year or whatever. You know, it was some crazy numbers that I read. Yeah, yeah. And so you're there with a violent stepfather single mom that obviously, I mean, your mom was always working. She worked at the phone company, then she worked in the weekends at the church, yes. making music. Mm-hmm. So I guess you were a lot on your own. I was alone. I've been alone since I was four or five years old, mm. staying home by myself, which as a parent um, who was a parent of a, of a five-year-old, the idea that I would leave this person home alone for mm. hours, mm. walking through the city, catching the bus, and going home alone for three hours, four hours until I came home from work is like, are you crazy? Mm-hmm. Right? It, 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 it sounds crazy. Um, we, 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 we had the same in Iceland, but there are, there's one murder per 10 years. Yeah. So it's <laughs> right. a slightly different thing. Yeah. But how, how was that? I mean, like, why, why, you know, like you made a career, you made a, mm-hmm. you, you educated yourself, did an MBA degree, you, yes. you made a career, we're going to talk maybe a little bit about later, yeah. but couldn't you have just become one of those failed yeah. kids, you know? Yeah, it, it was easy. It was it was all right there. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think all the things that would have made me, all the violence that I, I saw, all of the innate, characteristics or, or personality that maybe would have steered me towards violence actually steered me away from it. Um, I'm very calculating. Uh, I've always, for whatever reason, I've always just been aware of the world and I've been aware of um, the sequence of, of events, you know, um, consequences. And yeah. yeah. And I could see you could see criminality all around and it looks stressful. I'm like, man, these people always stressed out. You know, you can't rest. People are after you and I'm lazy, right? I don't want to work that hard. And so I'm like, you know what? Being a criminal is hard work. (laughs) Why would anyone go into that? My life is difficult enough. So you analyze that world like you analyze the porn. Yes. (laughs) It's hard work. It's hard work. It's Mm. hard work. Stressful. And a short lifetime. Yeah. And so, you know, I I figured that there was a there was a different way. And I'm 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 very aware of the marketing and the propaganda of society, of culture. Um I grew up in church, right? I can see what the 
the church dogma is trying to do to potential clients, right? I can see what they're selling um, with society. I can see what society is selling. I can see, you know, all the paths that, you know, they are offering. So I'm like, okay, the criminal path, um, you can make a lot of money very quickly, but you're going to die early or go to prison and spend all that money on lawyers and everything. It's like, uh, that's not a very viable career option. Um, and so I, I really kind of navigated life and the culture and the, the different threads. I navigated like a video game. It's mm. just like a video game. I'm a man, you know, I have one man, can't die, you know. Um, how do I solve this puzzle? Mm. And that is kind of how I've lived my life. But it's it's, but you didn't really feel like I mean because I, in your book you talk about that you feel depressed. I mean you're talking about that when you're ten, eleven that you feel some anxiety and yeah. depression. Yeah. And I was thinking like, um, with all these things, I mean, that that happened there mm -hmm. and 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 so on. I mean like you didn't feel like you needed to go out and get attention or get to be the bad boy to get the attention or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. Um. I I liked being left alone. The world was very stressful. I think, you know, they, they weren't doing testing, you know, back then. Mental health wasn't, that wasn't even a phrase mm. when I was growing up. I I would assume if I had done a test, I'm on someone's spectrum. I have some type of condition or something. You could put a name on it. If you met my father, you'd be like, yeah, something's not right with that guy. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I was always just very nervous and very just sort of overstimulated. And so I wanted isolation. I needed isolation um, because, you know, from, you know, the trauma and dealing with Otis and then the city, um, like I said, it, it, it didn't change me so much as that it gave me permission to do certain things. Um, so I became very violent. I'm and not proactively, but defensively. Mm. I was the guy who was going to take it too far. You know, I was the guy, if you, if you bother me, if you say something, if you threaten me, then I'm going to, we're going to settle it. And I have you were a jumpy. Huh? You were jumpy. Yeah. I was just very irritable. Mm. Very irritable. Um, so here's the thing about fights. When we fight, the 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 purpose of a fight is to either break the will or incapacitate your opponent. Right? That's the ultimate goal. People talk about fair fights. I don't believe there's a such thing as a fair fight. There's no such thing as a fair fight. All the honor and you can't hit someone from behind and you can't get a weapon. Fuck that. Mm -hmm. You know, the object is to win. There are no points other than winning. And that is what I'm I'm going to bring to the table. And so I, 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 I present a very, very clear um, option for people. Whatever it is that you're agitated about, 
I want you to show me, you're going to prove to me how much you really care because I care about responsibility. I care about owning your actions and whatever it takes to own your actions. That's what we're going to do. So if you're upset that I, you know, I did whatever, well, what's the end? Let's mm-hmm. get to the end. You want to fight about this? Do you want to end up in the hospital behind this? Do you want to end up in prison behind this? How how important is it to you really? Mm. And I'll ask that question. And even just asking the question is enough to give someone like a pause, like, wait, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And it turns out that it's, it's, more, it's more problems than it's worth. And I always give people an off ramp. Like, you can, we can go down this path over here, or we can leave each other alone. But girlfriends, so girlfriends must hate you. Like you're eventually. too, you're too rational. And eventually, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> no, because you, you know what I mean. Because I mean, a lot of a lot of people mm-hmm. somehow seek to argue. Yeah. They, they and they seek to discuss things, whereas you are thinking, okay, let's just skip it to the end. Where do you want this yeah. to end? Right. Because, like I said, I don't. I was very nervous and I wanted to just be away from people. So I, I did a lot of things to isolate myself um, because I was hurting people. Mm. I, you know, I, I ended up punching my mother. That's in the book. It was a very sad day. Mm. You know, um, I've gotten in fights with cousins. I've gotten in fights with people. I've, I, I've, there were just situations and times when I've hurt people or I've been in, you know, situations where, Like one time in elementary school, I don't know why I did this. I had a one of those old Rambo knives, you know, with the thing in the in the shaft. You could yeah, yeah. and it had like a compass and yeah, a bunch of that's stuff. so cool. Yeah, you could saw your own injuries yeah, if, if yeah, you got yeah. injured. Yeah, and so I, I had one of these things, and I'm you know I'm showing it's like some kid on the bus, and he has something to say, and you know, and I forgot what he said, but I was just like, I'll throw this at you, and he was like, do it. So I. So I did, mm-hmm. and it it flipped through the air and landed in between his legs in the seat, and it just stuck in the seat. And so the entire bus is like, "What in the fuck just happened?" Mm-hmm. And I casually strolled over, grabbed the knife, got off the bus, and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> "Fuck, an inch higher, <laughs> what, uh, what 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 would have happened?" But You know, I know those. I know that about me, and so I'm like, you know what? I need to remove myself from people. I need to be more calculated because I am going to crash in, into something. And so I looked at it as a challenge. I knew the stereotypes. I knew what everyone expected of me, a person such as myself, given my demographic and mm-hmm. whatever in the mm-hmm. time. Um, and sort of like as I was saying earlier all the things that probably would have the anger and the competitiveness that maybe would have steered me towards criminality steered me away from it because it was a challenge. Mm. Oh, you think I'm going to go down this path? Well, I'm going to show you. Mm. You know. But are you you're different today, right? I mean, you don't come across as as easily irritated or I'm agitated. I'm I'm better at it. I'm more measured. I mean, I'm 45 now. Oh. Um, so I've I've lived and I have enough scars and and to to understand that you know, there's it's it's that compassion for for other people. I'm very aware of, you know, when people are lashing out or, or they're angry about something. It has nothing to do with me cuz I didn't do anything to you. Mm. Um 
And so I'm able to listen and sort of absorb that energy and try to steer someone in an, in another direction. Now, if, if for instance, they are insistent upon being confrontational, then we can be confrontational and it could be, it's going to be very uncomfortable and it's going to be very time consuming. Um, until, you know, someone says, Hey, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. It's like, all right, cool. Yeah. Let's do something else. Mm-hmm. And it's an immediate switch. Like I don't, I don't hold grudges and, and, and bemoan, you know, um, people we can it can be whatever it is that that we want it to be but now at this age i'm i'm just trying to have fun i i want people to have fun i want people to enjoy them enjoy themselves i'm like i realize i'm older than most people that i i come into contact with Mm -hmm. i'm like the elders i know the drill you know it you know it and so you know wrestling and and getting into fights and confrontation with people it's like oh my god that's such a waste of time like dude let's chill out there's so much enjoyment we can have um and so that competitiveness and sort of all that energy has been channeled towards how can i use this to you know make life and space a little bit more enjoyable for for everyone else Mm -hmm. so it's all there it's just channeled more productively yeah Yeah. but you you um You went on to study. You went to college and, and, mm-hmm. and you took an M- MBA. So I studied finance and economics yeah. um, for my undergrad and I eventually got an MBA. But the motives for, for I mean, I, I guess part of your motive was that you wanted to break the chain as well from, you know, your mom has kind of struggled. I mean, or let's say not struggled, but yeah. she's worked super hard she's, her whole yeah, life. Yeah, she's worked hard. And um, your dad has never really made a... no. He's a musician, so yeah. you know. So you wanted to outsmart them, or, or I wanted to. Um, I'm lazy, mm. right? I want comfort, I mm. want to, and so it's. I I saw his path, and he never owned a car. You know, we went to laundry mats. I hate laundry mats. Mm. I can't stand laundry mats because mm. I used to spend. I would um, every third weekend was my father's weekend. One of those days was spent at the laundromat. <laughs> so fuck laundromats. Mm-hmm. I hate laundromats. Um, I wanted comfort. I wanted nice things. And I know that, okay, this is an easy way to get these things. Mm. Um, both my parents went to college. That's where they met. So going to college was always sort of in the ether. Um, understanding the the society that I live in, education is the key. Um, what should be the key. Mm-hmm. Um, and just generally knowing more stuff than other people is always beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to have, you know, we've all played that that game if you had one wish, right? Um, you know, back when I was a kid, people would, you know, you wish for a million dollars because that was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You wanted to be a millionaire. And I thought about that and I'm like, oh, no, you can wish for a million dollars or you can just know how to make a million dollars and you can just make a million dollars as many times as you as want, many times as yeah. you want and so I, i i went down that thread and what i settled on was that if i had a wish i would just wish to be slightly smarter than everyone else that i came into contact with mm-hmm. not a super genius just mm-hmm. a little bit smarter and then i realized oh just read more stuff and then that's that's easy it's mm-hmm. kind of a one plus one equals two thing um so going to college that was information When I graduated high school, I'm like, okay, what do I... My mother gave me this proposition. You can go to college, and I'll help pay for it, or you can get a job. 
So I'm like, all right, what do I know how to do? Nothing. Mm. She'll pay for me to go and learn a skill. Okay, yeah, let's just do that then. So I did that and I chose, I wanted to do IT because that was sort of the new burgeoning sort of industry and Mm. I saw where it was going. Um, I had a terrible teacher and I hated it. This is like 95. 94. 94. Um, And so I decided, you know, I'm going to switch from IT and go over to finance. Mm. Um, But the, 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 the idea of going to college was easy. So, you know, growing up in the 80s, we had the Cosby show. You know, Bill Cosby, I know he's a controversial figure now, but I tell people all the time, Bill Cosby changed the course of humanity. Mm. Without Bill Cosby, there would be no Barack Obama. Mm. There would be, I wouldn't be here where I am. And having Bill Cosby is a pivotal figure in American culture, in world culture, and it's it's kind of sad what, what that has turned into. But... You know, you had the Cosby show and that image, and then he had this the spinoff, A Different World, and, you know, people were going to college. You know, his, his daughter. And why is he such a pivotal figure? I mean, why is that show such a... That show showed a prosperous, upper-middle-class, professional black family. Mm-hmm. They, both parents were together. Um, and it wasn't the first show. I mean, we had the Jeffersons. You know, we had other shows um, of a family. You know, good times, they were in the projects. Uh, the Jeffersons, um, Norman Lear, it, you know, if anyone is unfamiliar with Norman Lear, go look up Norman Lear. He wrote or produced some of the greatest TV shows, All in the Family, The Jeffersons, Good Times. I mean, things that they probably couldn't film today, but the things that he was writing in the 70s and 80s are relevant. Mm-hmm. Um but you saw a happy, prosperous black family mm. that, you know, she was a partner at a law firm. He was a, you know, he had his Do- own doctor. doctor. Right? He yeah. was a gynecologist. Yeah. He had his own practice. He had How five ironic kids. is that, though? Right. <laughs> you know, but they had five kids. Theo, Rudy. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the whole. He was super big. Vanessa. On yeah. Vanessa, yeah. Right. And so, you know, this was a, this was the, the aspirational black family. Mm-hmm. And it was like the role wow, model, the role of. model, mm. right? And not just for the black family, but for all of America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just happened to have a black face. Mm. Um, and then you had the spinoff, a different world, mm. where you know the second daughter, Denise, Lisa Bonet, yeah, goes off to college. Yes. And so now, and she goes off because you know they always talked about their fictional college, um, Hillman. Hillman College was the college that uh, both. Claire and, 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 and Theo Huxtable went to. So their daughter goes off to that. And it's a black college. And so now we have on TV every week for half hour. Well, it's a four hour. You have a black family. And then the next half hour, their second daughter is at this black college. Mm. And so you see prideful black people, not militant, you know, not trying to tear down the American dream or anything like that, but fully, uh, you know, um, simulated somehow, assumed just, it yeah. and doing it at a high level, mm-hmm. making it look good. Mm-hmm. And we have black college life and it's so romantic and it's cool. And you have the, you know, the the frats and the and the culture and just the, the, the mix of different black cultures mm-hmm. all in one place. We had hip hop. 
we had rap music and it has a reputation today, but people don't remember in the late eighties and the early nineties, there were a lot of rappers talking about going to college. Mm. A lot of rappers who had gone to college. Um, and there was just this energy of, we, we were just coming out of the crack era. Um, that was all the violence and everything that I was seeing. And so there was a huge movement, very similar to what my father had gone through, a huge sort of pro-black movement. Mm-hmm. We're going to really accept and embrace this blackness and black excellence and black aspiration. So by the time the mid-90s come around, yeah, I was going to college. And not just any college, I was going to a black college. So I ended up going to Morehouse in Atlanta. Um, And I studied finance because, again, looking at the paths that America and our culture had laid out, it was like, yeah, this is the easy path towards financial success. Also, coincidentally, they had just signed the NAFTA trade. Mm -hmm. Um, And what NAFTA did was it tore down the trade barriers between Canada and Mexico so that all the manufacturing that was once done in the United States, which was already sort of on the decline, all the trade barriers were were removed. So you can take those factories and move them to a cheaper place like Mexico or Canada and just import the goods back in. Mm -hmm. So we saw it was advertised on TV the president of the United States, Bill Clinton, told everyone, this is what our society is going to be from, from now on. Manufacturing, manual labor will be de-emphasized. Knowledge work, this new thing called the internet, that's the future. That's where we're going. Mm-hmm. And so if you take the per- if you take your personal feelings about politicians and what should be and what shouldn't be in morality and just look at the system and look at the game, they tell you every day what the game is. Yeah, yeah. They tell you yeah, what yeah. all the rules are. Yes. And so I paid attention. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, this is where we're shifting. These are the new rules. Fine. Mm-hmm. So I went to college. I studied finance. And here we are. But you, you, um, um, you talk about it in in your book, and it's 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 interesting. And you mentioned it now, like with with the Bill Cosby show, that that um, it is very much that i idea that is put in front of us of you know like you know get educated, get married, have kids, be happy, mm-hmm. and everything is going to work out. Yeah. But the reality of 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 it is, is very <laughs> different. And yeah. And and uh, and I think like. Um, in an in American culture, there is a there's a very very strong, let's say, propaganda towards following a certain path, mm-hmm. uh, and it for me it it from the distance it it almost feels like that this path is designed to fuel capitalism in a way yes. that that you you know you're both a contributor and mm-hmm. you're also a consumer. Yes, and that. And that system needs certain people to be poor mm-hmm. and certain people to be middle class and then certain people to be rich on top and and, mm-hmm. and, and taking all the money. Mm-hmm. And and you you kind of get tangled up in the American dream in a way, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, we're all incepted into our cultures. Mm. You know, as, as independent as we would like to be, there are family expectations, there are social expectations, what are they going to say? Um, 
And so you end up doing certain things to fit in. Mm. Um, and it's not right or wrong, um, but depending on who you are, that could either be a happy, easy existence because you're just following along, or it can be a soul-crushing experience because your soul isn't one designed to just follow along. Mm. Um, consumerism is a big thing. Acquisition is is a big thing. Our motto is the pursuit of happiness. Mm. I think we're the only ones in the world who have that motto, you know, the pursuit of happiness, which is such a vague and sort of nebulous concept. What is happiness? Mm. Oh, okay, well, you know, there's a commercial that will tell you exactly what it is that will yeah. make you happy. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, you know, you you want to acquire a house and you want to acquire the car and you want to, you know, the gated community and sort of these trappings of a average sort of middle class, you know, everyone aspires to be middle class um, and average. And it's really just making yourself, uh, you know, a consumer. There's so much debt that goes along with it. There's so much leverage that goes along with it. And you find yourself sort of propping up this huge financial burden as a cost of acquiring happiness mm-hmm. um or perceived happiness yeah, or perceived happiness and yeah you know I, I i did these things i checked the boxes because it's a giant game i'm gonna win the game um but as i'm checking the boxes i'm realizing i don't really want i don't want this mm-hmm. i don't really care about this um until it got to a point where i'd done everything everyone else's way it wasn't providing me happiness so i was like yeah I'm gonna just do it my way. You had a job then. At, you were working at Enron. Yes. Um, Blessed be their soul. Yeah, I mean, because I'm, I'm I'm getting kind of confused on the timeline because you're talking about my entire life, and so it's like yeah. your entire life you're fighting against this internal monologue of you need this, you need this, you need this. Mm. Um, but at Enron, um, Enron was a classic example of this. Mm. Enron was the hot company. Um, I, when I started, they were maybe, they had just moved from 40 to 34 on the Fortune 500. And then the year that I left and the year everything crashed, they had just moved up to number seven. So the seventh largest company in the United States. Mm. I worked for them fresh out of college. Like the it company. It's, it's like, you know, Google today mm. or apple or, mm. or or one of those i worked for that company but i wasn't happy um i hated it it was a terrible place um why uh it was needlessly competitive um obviously it was racked with fraud um and so the fraud and the the lack of professionalism that way it wasn't just at the board level and it wasn't just at the manager you know manager level it trickles down Mm. like i know not i know i personally manipulated um numbers for our internal reporting so that our traders could make more trades Mm. um so real, real quick we had a um a daily trade value natural gas um daily trade sort of cap was $100 million in the market. Anything over $100 million, automatic sale. You had to sell and get our position below $100 million. 
But what would happen is... You that know, you could hold at any given time. That we can uh -huh. hold at any given time. Mm -hmm. But what would happen is um, traders want to pursue whatever strategy because mm -hmm. they're, they're getting bonus. So what would happen is if something, if the value at risk or, or VAR would come in and say $105 million, we got to either move $5 million off the books or we'd have to change the valuation of that $105 million. And so what would happen is I get a call. These numbers aren't right. Well, no, they check out. This is exactly what the number is. We'll fix it. Okay. Um, we talk to the traders to see what we can do. And what how we would get around it is that let's say that the historic difference between gas in Texas and New York is if it's a dollar in New York, I mean a dollar in Texas, it's worth let's say a dollar fifty in New York. Because of transport cost or something. Transport like, is mm -hmm. called basis, right? Mm -hmm. You know, for a variety of different reasons. Yep. You know, supply and demand, you know, whatever. So that's the historical difference, plus 50%. What the traders would say is, yes, I know that that's the 10-year that's the view, but over the next 10 days, my model says that it won't be 50 cents. It's going to be 5 cents. Mm -hmm. So you could reduce the value. So the I'll, just remove, I'll just move that, that decimal, mm. and that brings the value down so then they can do whatever it is that they want. It's highly unethical. Um, not illegal. I don't know about it's the, questionable. The yeah. It's highly, it's highly unethical. Yeah. But that's the environment that I that I that I I worked in. That was my first working environment. But it's rigged. I mean, like we we were also talking in the limo on the way here that we were talking about the. Um, you know, like uh, in in America, uh, you, we, oh, you mentioned it actually in the book. When you move from from California to mm -hmm. Atlanta, that's mm -hmm. when you feel a racial segregation in a way. Yes. In in California, it was a income segregation. More, yes. Or poverty versus yeah. Rich. Now, obviously, there's a racial aspect to you know who has and doesn't have money. Yeah, which comes from the background and the legacy yeah. of the family. And yes, yes. But when I moved to Atlanta, um, not only were there was there a very prominent upper middle class and, and wealthy black community. Um, okay, so that's very exciting. But when the money was even, you could see mm -hmm. the difference mm -hmm. in the racial separation. White people lived north of Interstate 20 and black people lived south of Interstate 20. No matter income. Yeah. I mean, you always have individuals who did a little bit of, of, of whatever. You can always find someone doing something, right? But by and large, that is how the city was bifurcated. Mm. And it was very weird for me coming from California because, number one, we have everyone. You know, mm. um, a place like Oakland is probably one of the more diverse cities. You know, a lot of Latinos, everyone, Hispanic. Yeah, everyone. Everyone is made, you know, if you look at the four major, let's say, white, black, Asian, and Hispanic, everyone is about a quarter. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's, it's the, the percentages are here and there, but it feels, it feels very even. And I go to, I grew up in a neighborhood. Behind me was um, like a, a fourplex, and there was a Mexican, there were a lot of Mexicans there, and both of my neighbors were Chinese immigrants, mm -hmm. you know. So I grew up very in a very multicultural uh, environment. I go to Atlanta, and it's black and white. So I miss, you know, my Mexican and Hispanic, you know, you know, 
brothers. I call everybody brothers, and everybody, mm. brothers and sisters. I missed my, you know, Asian brothers and sisters. It was just black and white, mm. and it was just very alien. Mm. And then the the physical separation was also very alien. Um, it's kind of amusing in a way. Mm. Um, but it's interesting because actually Atlanta. I mean, yeah, maybe this is right now from what you hear. I mean, mm-hmm. I haven't been there, but. From what you hear, that it's a very kind of up and coming city. It's growing fast. There's yeah. a lot of companies there, and after it has the second or third most Fortune 500 companies. Mm. Um, it's like New York. New York always is going to be at the top of those lists, but it's like two or three. Mm. It's up there. Um, very prominent, wealthy black community. Um, you know, wealthy white community. There's a lot more diversity now. Um, after the Olympics. And I was there during uh-huh. that time. They really built up the city for the Olympics and then kept it going. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about other Olympic cities, but the uh, city of Bar- Barcelona, they both the same there. Yeah. It really cha- it was a game changer for yeah. them in 92 or whenever yeah. it was. Now, there, you know, there's <laughs> all kind of things can be said about the IOC and the Olympics and how mm-hmm. much money is spent. And a lot of cities do find themselves in bad situations after the Olympics leave. However, there are a handful of, of situations of where you have good civic leaders that take that influx of investment and change their city for the better. Mm-hmm. Atlanta is a wonderful city. Mm-hmm. Um, very prosperous. It's booming. It's growing faster than almost anything. Um, people who, who, who've been there or live there um, and have experienced the traffic, they, they know this. Mm-hmm. They know this in their hearts. Um I forgot what we were talking about. Uh, yeah, no, I kind of what I, what I wanted to come to is that, like, uh, it may when I was reading this in your book about mm-hmm. the the racial segregation and then the poverty segre- segregation yeah. is that that to an outsider like me there are there are certain elements of American society which I don't just don't make sense to me. For mm-hmm. example, that public schools are funded by real estate taxes in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So if you have a rundown neighborhood with low real estate valuation, then you have low income for the school. And that means that school can give good food, good education, good equipment to the students. And yes. then you're basically manufacturing children that that will be at disadvantage. And yes. this probably happens to be more in non-white neighborhoods, mm-hmm. I would guess. And for whatever reason that is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, blacks and let's say, immigrants that have come in... There isn't this family wealth. Mm -hmm. There isn't this money that, you know, has gone from a generation to generation yet. Mm -hmm. And and then, yeah, for me, a lot of this looks like a poverty trap. And Mm -hmm. then I think, okay, why would you want that? Well, actually, it's great because it gives cheap labor. Mm -hmm. It means you can create a burger that you can sell for 50 cents. Mm-hmm. And you also have customers that can't afford anything else than yeah. the 50 cent burger. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we, we talked about this. Um, one of the things that people forget about the United States is that it was, they know it was a colony, but they don't quite remember what a colony is for. And it's a money making enterprise. That's all it is. Extract value out of the colony. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. So the same way, and England used the same model all over the world. 
they would send their merchants to a place. They would establish local connections, local trade. They'd set up some troops and a fort to protect everyone's investment. Oh, you have, a, you know, the person that they've made a connection with, they have a problem with another tribe over here. Hey, listen, we'll send, you know, a couple of hundred of our guys to help you settle that out, mm. you know, and we'll take this little concession over here. And sooner or later, they end up controlling the entire country or continent or wherever they've been. So same way that it happened in India, whereas the Indians said, hey, you know what, English, you need to get out, right? Very similar conditions to the United States, except the middle managers in the United States just said, hey, you know what, we can cut out headquarters mm. and take this over for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And they did. Um, but what happens is, you still have these people who were basically managers of this money-making enterprise, and they seeded that into the structure and the culture of what is now America. Mm. So making money and working and profit is Number one. it's central to the American culture and psyche, whereas you're from Iceland, mm. whereas your culture is sort of derived from the fact that that's where you are mm -hmm. and you have a history and you have your family and it's more, it's, mm -hmm. it's more of an organic thing. Mm -hmm. Most countries in the world have this very organic origin mm -hmm. that way. Um, Whereas ethnicity, you are more, yeah. we are, we are, we are a concept. The thing about America, and this is a beautiful part about, about America, is that once you raise your hand and you take that oath, you're an American. Mm -hmm. You're in. Welcome to the party. Um, whereas I could move to France. I can move here to Prague. I'm never going to be Czech. No. I can never call myself Czech. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, you're clearly not. Whereas any person from anywhere in the world once you come to America and you have a kid, your kid automatically granted, you're an American. Once you raise your hand and take that oath and say, yep, these values, I, I support these values. I'm going to stand and defend them. I'm going to pay taxes for these values. You're an American mm. with all the rights and privileges that that affords. And that's a concept. And that's a beautiful concept because mm -hmm. it's, it's open to everyone. But the problem is that it's, it's a concept. It's very cerebral. You don't really, it's hard to sometimes feel like an American. I feel more like an American when I'm out of America than when I'm in America. When I'm in America, I'm black. You know, we have this, we have this moniker, um, the hyphenated American, right? So I'm African-American. But I tell people, that's our that's our business name. That's how we interface with the government. That's how we interface with everyone else. You know, it's like Mr. Mrs. Whatever. Mm -hmm. But amongst us, we're black. Capital B, right? We are a new people. We love ourselves. We have a culture. We have a pride. We have a heritage. Um, and yeah, just that that corporate mentality that we have in the United States it's not concerned with the last person. The last person is immaterial to the profitability of the enterprise. If you can make it, 
cool. If mm. you can't, that's the market, mm. you know? And it drives a lot of innovation. It drives that that competitive fire, which gives us a lot of great things on on the 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 top end. But some of the basics of just compassion. Compassion. Yeah. Helping your neighbor. Yeah. You know, feeling a oneness with your neighbor. That's not there. Mm. And it's 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 always sort of been, you know, kind of fleeting. Mm. There's this sort of suspicion and competition with neighbors. Now it's even more so. It's getting say. worse. I it's mean, or, 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 or it's let's say at least it's more visible mm-hmm. because now we we see it on on you know if we look at at social media and and how people are kind of <clears throat> divided and in in echo chambers and blocking anyone who disagrees and. Uh, calling out everything and you know and we go from one i don't know shocking news uh, this hour to another one next hour and well the margins are smaller now mm. the margins are smaller so it was easy when there was so much extra mm. and what do you mean so what happened after america was was one way up until the 20th century Mm. Um, most of most of America was underdeveloped. I mean, no major interstates or anything like that. A lot of what we know, a lot of what America is, is new. Um, so after the war, World War II, we were just kind of the only one standing. So we sold a bunch of stuff to the rest of the world and made tons of money. Mm. And it was so much money and there was so much work that yeah you could just have a high school a high school education one and there was so much money that you could raise a family and there were so many land grants and houses and loans and grants and they sort of built what we call our middle class um that doesn't exist anymore the rest of the con- the rest of the world has cleaned itself up they're smart they're making money too um so the margins have gotten smaller. Mm-hmm. This is capitalism. And the thing about capitalism is that everything everything is a variable. And what people misunderstand about themselves in capitalism is that you are just a cog in the machine. You don't own your job. You're doing a service. And like any other raw material... You have to be more efficient. You have to do more with less. Mm. You know, if I get a, you know, if I get a kiloton of steel, I need to be efficient in my use of this kiloton of steel. I need to get more product out of that kiloton of steel in 2022 than in 1952. Well, guess what, worker? You're a raw material as far as the company is concerned, just like that kiloton of steel. Mm. So you're going to have to produce more just to maintain and it gets less every day and so you can't just make it on a high school education you can't just raise a family of four or five on one high school education anymore but because we've commoditized everything we've commoditized our education we've commoditized our medical we've commoditized and 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 sent to the market almost every facet of life that you're in this game 
you're in this 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 competition of how do I get the basic resources? It's like a video game. How do I get the basic resources just to be competent mm-hmm. in the game? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, it takes money to make money. Mm-hmm. It takes resources to acquire more resources. If you don't have food, if you don't have enough food, you're not going to, you know, your study habits are going to be poor because you're hungry. Mm-hmm. Your brain is not going to work well because it's, you know, if you look at the animal, the animal says, hey, you know what? I got these four basic things that I have to solve before I do anything else. Mm-hmm. And so um, people are feeling that stress. They don't necessarily, they can't conceptualize clearly why they just know that they feel more pressure and that anxiety translates into all the crazy things that we see oh they're cheating over there i would have more if it weren't for those people over there and it's like nah they're in the same situation that that you're in so whether and we talk about race a whole lot and we do have these historic you know racial situations in the united states but um, last July, <laughs> this is kind of funny. Last July, someone came up with this idea, or I heard this idea of White History Month. Mm. So we have all these history months in the United States to celebrate whatever. And Black History Month is in February. Yeah. And so people are like, why do black people get a history month? Why mm. don't white people have history? So someone came up with the idea of a White History Month. And I thought it was kind of funny because I... I I, I knew, I understood the disingenuous, disingenuousness of, I can't talk this yeah. morning, of, of it. of it, And so I started to, I, I kind of trolled it um, on Twitter. And my first tweet was, um, thank God for the slave owners because without them, where would we be? Mm-hmm. White History Month, mm-hmm. hashtag. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that like three or four times. Um, but then I decided, hey, wait a minute. Here's an opportunity here. I'm American, right? How how do I make this opportunity? Make it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna use this as a lesson because I remember a lot about history, and so I used it in the exact same way that all these other history months. The first, you know, the first black person to do this. So I, you know, the first white person to do this or significant events. And every day I would list two or three, and I chronicle riots like worker strike riots forced relocations um of white people mm. from the government you know the same all the same things that 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 is you know negatively affected black people um there was a little bit more of a systematic thing that's always a, a touchy subject for some people um but you know we know about jim crow and and, and second class citizenships and all that but those same things were used on Sections of white people, you know. Asians as well, after Pearl Harbor, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah, And so I highlighted how there are, I mean, there are poor white families that have mm-hmm. been poor for generations. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to highlight for them that the reason why Appalachia, you know, going into coal mines and everything, why do you think you've been there for four or five, six generations working the same coal mine? The same billionaire families are still rich and you guys are still digging rocks out of the ground, mm-hmm. you know, and now you get opioid, opioids for all your, 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 your pain and suffering, right? And showing them how the system and the business apparatus has manipulated and undermined them 
the same way as it manipulated and undermined black people, Asians, or whatnot. Where the race part comes in is, well, at least you're not black, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, we do let you on this side of the river or this side of the, the, the railroad tracks. Uh, we will let you it, walk It could downtown. be worse. It could be worse, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a big mentality in the United States. Oh, it could be worse. It could be, I could be one of them. And that's not, and it keeps everyone sort of grabbing at peanuts. Mm-hmm. You know, I need my peanut. You know, it's like, they have orchards mm-hmm. of almonds and figs and olives over here and they're eating mm-hmm. and you're, we're fighting over peanuts over mm-hmm. here. And, you know, now I'm starting to sound a bit socialist and everything. I probably fit, you know, right here, you know, fit in here in Europe, but there is a, there is a social tissue that has been purposely undermined. Mm. Um, and it's, it's sad. Mm. It's so sad because when I, you know, I know a lot of white people, I know a lot of Asian people, I know a lot of different people from all these social, you know, backgrounds and, and, and status. And it's like the anxieties and the fears are all the same. The aspirations and the dreams are all the same. Mm but we can't get out of our way because we're too busy trying to hold on to this one peanut that we have that, and the pride that comes with having this peanut that we will deprive other people of having mm. the basics. So mm. we can just say, Oh yeah, I got mine. But I think when you, when you say, like you say that you sound like a socialist, I think for, for us in Europe, that's always a little bit funny when, when we hear, you know, American politicians or, or people of influence in, mm-hmm. in the U S talk about, Europe as a but we we don't see it this way I mean for for me like um and maybe yeah maybe it's it's the it's the benefit of coming from a small society mm-hmm. you know like for me a society should always take or be sure to kind of help out for some fundamental basic needs mm-hmm. of those who can't mm-hmm. and that is for me that's healthcare education and 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 things like that and um Of course, then you can always di- di- discuss at its levels and how much and how long, you know, should you get your university for free or should you just end at high school? You know, like the, these ca- can all be debatable things. And to be honest, they unfortunately, states are never really good at running things, you know, yes. like, but in the absence of anyone else who's willing to do it. Yes. And, and uh, you know, th- that's the best option we have. Yes. And so for me, like, listening to you and you know and reading your book and just looking at american society in mm-hmm. general i think th- there are such very kind of basic things that could make it so much better mm-hmm. and give so much more chance to people to flourish mm-hmm. but at the same time everyone is being sold yeah you need to buy a house you need to take a loan you need a student loan you need a car you need two cars And it's almost as if they're constructed in a way that let's just keep them all busy so they can't educate themselves mm-hmm. too much. They can take that education they need for that job, yeah. but they're never going to read another book. They're never going to know anything better. Well, that's you, you, kind of, you kind of put both of the, vari- the variables right side by side is that it's difficult to care about other people when I have this mountain of debt that I need to service. Mm-hmm. Remember my happiness, I, I just acquired all of these things that were the key to my happiness and it has a cost. I have to service this every month. Mm. And so, you know, since we're funding, we're funding everything 
on taxes and that's coming out of my pocket, it's like, well, you know, I have all of this stuff that I have to keep mm-hmm. up. I can care. I can give two shits about what you're doing because if I don't, if I default on my stuff, then my life is ruined. Mm-hmm. So no, I don't have any money for taxes. No, I don't care about your education. I don't care about your well-being at all because that doesn't directly benefit me and the issues that I have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And so it's everyone is kind of out for themselves. Yeah, you have an immediate impact in, on one hand, right. but then kind of some sort of a social yeah. benefit on now, the other hand. Yeah, because the social benefit is much more diffuse, mm-hmm. right? It's a it's a much longer investment. Mm-hmm. These are generational yeah, yeah. You know, things. And it's hard to sell someone on a generational plan mm. when they have bills right now today. Mm. And I say this completely aware of the fact that I'm a player in the game. Mm. And not only a player in the game, but I've played the game to the point where, to a lot of people, I'm one of the bad guys, right? I work for Fortune 50 companies. Like the biggest, I've always worked for like the biggest con- the companies in my industry. Mm. Um, I work for Pfizer now. Mm. Biggest pharmaceutical company in the world. Yeah. I used to work for AT&T mm. um, in the United States. That was like the biggest telecom So you have Enron, company. AT&T, uh-huh. and Pfizer on your resume. Yes. I used to work for Hilti as well. Uh-huh. Is you, that bad? No, I don't know them. Hilti? No. Hilti is out of Liechtenstein. They make uh, uh, power tools. Ah, yeah. yeah, the drills and the all drills that stuff. The drills and all yeah. that stuff. Their North American headquarters was in Tulsa. Uh-huh. And so I worked for them for about three years. Okay, so so, yeah. so you've worked for old white money all your life. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah. but but on the other hand, I mean what what is interesting is you you kind of so you yeah, you 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 get your education, you get out of, mm-hmm. out of uh, and you get out to work and then mm-hmm. You're taking all the boxes, as you say. I mean, you you get married, you have yeah. a child. I mean, that wasn't planned, but it happens. It happens, right? And uh, you know, buying a house. But there was a part of you that was always kind of drifting off. Yes. You were traveling and going off on your own, right? Yes, I needed. Um, I there was a trip when I was at um when I was in Houston. I was going to on a trip. I can't remember exactly where, but I overheard um two businessmen. Um, you know, Houston and. Texas oil energy. So there was a Nigerian businessman and, you know, some Texan because Nigeria is big in oil and natural gas and stuff. So they were talking and I, I sort of overheard the Nigerian guy talk, um, talking about taking yearly sabbaticals. And, you know, the guy, you know, his, his business partner was like, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. My wife would never let me. And the Nigerian was thinking, I don't understand the words. My wife won't let me. That's not, you know, and how it works. That's not how it works. But but even just the concept of for him, it was like I devote myself to my family for X number of weeks a year. I need to go away to recharge myself, to center myself so that I could come back to be that support and pillar for my family. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And I just sort of filed that away. Mm. And then a couple of years later, as I started my family and, and, and whatnot, um, I realized now I understand. 
I, I, you know, I have this, this daughter and I have a wife and they have their needs and I'm give, give, give. I need time for me. So I started to travel a couple weeks. That's when I first came here to Prague um, to recharge myself. And what happened was that as I'm checking these boxes and as I'm sort of devoting my life to other people, um, it's not for me. My soul, no matter the trips that I'm taking, my soul is not being replenished. Mm. My perspectives on life are just looking very narrow and very grim and kind of like, who cares? I'm living in a suburb. You know, I had a, I had a house built from scratch. I bought the plot of land. I had the blueprints and I went over it with the, with the, with the guy and I planned every outlet, every light switch, every blade of grass on no happiness. There was no happiness in this for you. No, it doesn't. In, the, in your book, it doesn't come through as you no, were happy. No, no. I was doing it. For, I was doing it for my wife. Mm-hmm. I was doing it for my family. I was doing it for other people, and it wasn't for me. And there was. It's not to say that I didn't enjoy it. I liked the game of it. I liked winning. Mm-hmm. Right, especially coming from we talked about the the background. You know, that I grew up in the inner city violence, all that other shit. So I'm winning the game. Yeah. It's like, fuck yeah, man. Doing better. Doing better. Mm-hmm. But it's empty. Mm-hmm. It's hollow. There is no culture in American suburbs. You know, people buy big houses and and close, land. And close them off from everybody else. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to know anyone. I don't want people over my house. I want to sort of be in my house by yeah. myself. And I'm like, shit, like, what else? Am I supposed to just die now? <laughs> um and so, yeah, I I ended up blowing that up. Mm. But but you you've done. I mean, like, yeah. Um, in some way, your life has been like kind of you. Yeah, you start getting kind of tangled up in that American dream and doing all these things, mm-hmm. and you know, like. But but at some point, you seem to realize that that you you want something else, and 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 then you. I mean. Like now, you have an open relationship, for example. I mean, yeah. that that is not something that f- fits the American dream. Yeah, it um, it's not that I didn't want the American dream. I the American want, dream didn't want you. Yeah, it it felt like it felt like underwear that was too too tight mm-hmm. and wet. So <laughs> it was just very very bad. Um, I was very. I was devastated when my when my first marriage ended because I saw my parents get a divorce and I understood remember I'm always calculating so I understood the financial cost of that I understood what it meant in the culture the shame that comes along with it you're a failure mm-hmm. your family mm-hmm. you know I have this American friend here who divorced and he was devastated. And I was like, what the fuck? It's not like someone died. You just fucking divorced. No. I'm a failure, he said. Yeah, you feel like a failure, but also someone does die. Mm. Your aspirations, all your hopes and dreams and and the future you that you projected out into the world, that that died Mm. when you get divorced. And so there is a grieving process. It's it's hard. Um, And so... And then I ended up, you know, I I met my second wife and I decided, you know, because we're going to win the game. We're going to do everything perfect. So, uh, you know, brief, whatever. Um, 
I met my first wife. We started dating. Six months later, she was pregnant. We get married like three months later. Um, moved to the suburb. Everything's fine, whatever. So we did a lot of things out of order. We weren't necessarily ready. Didn't work. So I'm like, oh, okay. The timing, right? It's just a matter of timing. So I met my second wife. We dated for a year, right? The perfect amount of time. Mm. Then we moved in together. We did that for like a year to 18 months. Now I was getting my MBA at the same time. Perfect amount of time. Then we got engaged. Then we were engaged for like a year. So we were doing giving all the time. And she was my best friend. Everything was perfect. Then we moved to New York. And we still broke up. You know, she had her life. She she was from Oklahoma. And, you know, this was her first time living outside of Oklahoma. And so she was trying to find herself. And because I loved her, she's my best friend, and I never want to be in anyone's way. I'm like, yeah, let's we'll break up then. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And it was devastating. It was hard. Um, and I had to sort of learn a life lesson that no matter how perfect everything is, it still doesn't mean it's right. What and do you I, mean? Like no matter how perfect it is yeah. on, paper, on paper, if it doesn't feel right, then it's not right. Then it's not right. Mm. And that and that that happened when I was thirty seven. Mm. Yeah, thirty seven, thirty six, thirty seven. Um, and that was devastating because, mind you, everything up until this point, I'm in the American game, right? It's a competition. I'm going to win. So, my 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 man, my player. You know, he's racking up points. He's getting the gold coins like Super Mario Brothers. Like, we're doing it. And it fails. And I'm like, what in the fuck? How? How do I fail when I did everything that I was supposed to do? And then it's like, you know what? Fine. I don't care about this shit anyway. I didn't ask to be here. This is not the environment that I chose. So I'm going to just start doing things myself. Mm. I'm not going to worry about what other people think and what other people are doing. And, and all this. I'm just going to maximize my own happiness. I'm going to do what works for me. And if, it, if other people don't understand it. Then they're just not the right people yeah, for you. It just doesn't matter anymore. Mm. There are no points. I tell people there are no points. I mean, there are no, there's no place to cash all the points that we, we try to collect. You know, mm. no one cares. No one cares. People will talk about, oh, you shouldn't get divorced, whatever. But if you guys are, are making each other miserable mm. and, the, and the home is, is cold and hostile, that's not an environment to raise kids because mm. this is what they learn. Mind you, to a woman, most of them, I should say, um, all of my exes think highly of me. And we're, we're very cordial, if not outright very very good friends and that's because i saw that from my parents um they got divorced but they were still very good friends Mm. they were still very respectful of each other it's gotten me into a bit of trouble because not everyone has that background and so i'm thinking okay yeah we can break up shake on it and be friends and they're like what are you talking about like no we're supposed to be angry at each other and it's like why I loved you yesterday. I still love you today. I just don't want to be with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's two different things. It's two different things. And so, you know, I got divorced a second time, and I was like, all right, yeah, fuck it. Mm. You know, not really going to be worried about falling in love and getting married and all that other crap. 
I'm just trying to be, I'm just trying to be okay, right? I'm trying to heal all of this trauma that I've, I've had throughout my life. And I meet Jen, who, whom you met, and immediately it's like, fuck, all of my plans are out the window now. <laughs> mm. I mean, it was literally one of those love at first sight things. You know, I met her, our first date was at the, uh, on the steps of the Metropolitan Museum in New York, my favorite museum. And um, it was a hot day. She takes her, you know, she walks up, takes her sunglasses off. I take my sunglasses off. Instant. Mm. I instantly fall in love with her right there. Like the fucking movies. And I'm like, I don't know what this relationship is going to be. I don't know if I'm ready for a relationship. All I know is that this person is going to change my life. That was six years ago. Mm. Um, and in the process, we um, we decided to have an open relationship. But how? But how? Sorry. How do you? How do you just decide to have an open relationship? I mean, we, is it something you discuss? Or yeah, or? we talked about it. We talked about it like early on. Um, she never wanted to be married. She never wanted to have kids. Um, I can't have any more kids. I had my daughter. She was perfect. You were clipped. Yep. Mm. Yeah, because it was a fi- it was a financial decision. Mm. Um, which I know that sounds weird and, and cold but it's like that's not me mm. that's the world we live in so whatever callousness or cavalierness you think that's me it's like no that's a reflection of the world that we live in i'm just honest about it mm. um so i was like okay yeah you sound great because i'm not trying to be married again i've been married twice it's failed twice mm. fuck that not having any more kids um and so you know maybe six months in we talked about possible being open and i had heard about those relationships and i thought about it right we all watched you know jerry springer and trashy american tv i love and, it yeah and and everyone you know it's like um especially when they bring the midgets and stuff yeah i fucking love that stuff <laughs> but um yeah you know th- there's always that segment of where you know the girlfriend is like hey i'm bisexual and i have a girlfriend and i want to bring her in Mm. And the guy flips out and he runs off and, and everything. And as we're growing up, we're like, yo, dude, that's like the dream. What mm-hmm. are you talking yeah, about? What's wrong with what you? He was, you know? And so you always imagine what you would do if you were in that situation. Mm. So now I find myself in that situation or the proposition. And I check in and I'm like, no, I, I think I'd be okay with that. Mm. But also I'm the same guy who seriously considered getting into porn. Mm. So... Yeah, it's not like you've been normal your whole life. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and so we talked about it. We didn't do anything, though. Um, we were together for three years. Mm. And then, because we were just so, A, we were just so in love with each other. Two, my daughter had moved to New York. Um, she wanted to be an actor, so she goes to, she wanted to go to the acting high school, LaGuardia, or the fame high school. People look it up. It's famous. Um so, you know, after about three years, we, you know, my daughter ends up, you know, moving out because her mother gets a job in New York and that's a long other side story. So Jen and I were talking about it. We're like, okay, we're happy. We're content. We're solid. Maybe now was the time that we can be open. Mm. And so we're like, yeah, okay, we're going to do that. Then COVID. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's no open in COVID. Um, but now when COVID 
now that COVID was ending this past September for my birthday, my 45th birthday, we're talking and hanging out. And, you know, we're just sort of going over our relationship. We're five years in at this point. Everything is perfect. We're codependent in a real, when I say codependent, I say that kind of facetiously. She is my best friend. We hang out all the time. We're kind of sick that way. We're just so in love and it just kind of drips off of us. Um, It's kind of funny. Um, But we're like, yeah, we are solid enough to take that next step. And so since this past September, we've had an official open relationship. And how, but how does that, I mean, do you, do you say, listen, I'm going to go and meet this girl or, or she says, I'm going to go and meet that guy. I mean, what's the. Yeah, we are. um, So she has a, she has a joke. I'm going to steal her joke. Um, Whatever you think about an open relationship and all the sex that people, you think people are having, replace sex with talking. Mm -hmm. There's so much talking. Mm. So much talking. This is her bit. She's a comedian. I'm stealing her jokes. Um, But yeah, there is a lot of talking, right? There is a, um, it's almost like having a, 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 you know, a business meeting. You know, you kind of sit down, what's the state of things? And, you know, um, we don't really have a lot of rules around what it is that we're doing um, because that's kind of beside the point. Mm. I mean, obviously there are boundaries. Like what? Like for us, I mean, I'm curious because I'm actually going to talk to a girl who is an expert on this. And now uh, here I have someone who is not an expert. I mean, you're just living it. Yeah. Our boundaries... Our boundaries are really light. Um, one thing, we, we won't date people that we've dated before. Mm-hmm. That's a clear one. Um, the other thing is we don't have people by our house. Mm-hmm. Our house is ours. Yeah. If someone ever wants to come by the house, they need to kind of have a friendship with both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't gotten there yet. Um, that's it. Mm-hmm. She... We do talk about the people that we are interested in or seeing. Um, she tends to want more information than me. Yeah, from yeah. you and and you than yeah. you from her. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the main difference in that is I don't care. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 disinterested in information that I don't really have a use for. That's a data analyst. Yeah, you, you're a data analyst, so you it's noise. It's noise. Mm. I have no interest or care, mm. um, and that's it. But we talk about things. We talk about because what we're what we're doing is it's it is like it is your best friend. Mm. So you're talking about you know just and everyone knows everyone has a best friend or someone who they confide you know with and the person that you're interested in and you go and talk to them and you share okay we went on this date and oh this person is making me feel like this. And I just do that with someone whom I also happen to be sleeping with. Mm. But she's my best friend. So there are, there are multiple hats that we we wear. Um, and it's been a learning experience. Mm. So we've we've both liked people that, you know, ghosted us or didn't turn out. And you have to watch the person that you love sort of go through these mini heartaches. That's really interesting. Yeah. And it's it's weird because your only focus, or at least with us, our only focus is kind of helping them feel better. Mm. You're like, man, dude, 
you're a great person. How could they do this to you? How could they ghost you? Yeah, like, what the fuck? You're, like, awesome. And then we end up, like, having great sex. <laughs> you know? But how, how, but is it, like, because I think, you know, like, I'm not sure people realize that, I mean, being in an open relationship is, is, is not just the sexual part. It's not sexual at all. It, it is, that's more like swinging or something like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Like, There's a lot of ways to get sex. Mm. Um, if 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 it's just a matter of sex, you know, that's actually kind of boring. Mm. How much sex can you really have? Mm. Like, and enjoy it when it's not a, when it, and it's not a chore, mm. right? Um, so that's not what it's about at all. It's about connection. Mm. We all... We all go through life and we we meet people and we're connected to them, you know, and a lot of times they're just friends. You, you know, meet some, someone and you're like, oh, my God, and you guys are just friends for the, like the next 20 mm. years. And it's awesome. And you have that connection and you share certain things and you're intimate in certain ways. Um, and that's that relationship. Mm. Um, it's the same thing here. Just people tend to be very moralistic and have these extra feelings about sex. And. It's like, I don't know. I just don't necessarily feel... I feel very personally about sex. Sex is actually a very personal thing for me. I don't really... I don't like transactional sex. So I've had one-night stands. They're never really great. Well, they're great. But... It's not the same as when you're in a relationship Mm. with someone for five, six years and you're in love. Mm. You know? Um, I've had great one night stands that I remember and they were sort of great affairs, you know, um, in my mind. And there were other one night stands that were like, okay, yeah. Okay. We passed two or three yeah. hours and yeah. now what? Doesn't leave anything behind. Doesn't leave anything. And it's like, yeah, shit, I probably could have watched a movie and, and had mm-hmm. greater stimulation and enjoyment. So what it is, is that we've just decided that when we meet people, in the course of living in our lives, we are not going to put artificial boundaries on what that relationship can, can be. be. Mm. We're going to let that connection happen. And if it happens, it happens. Yeah. And the expression of that, because sometimes it's like, man, the best way that I can show how much I care about you is to have sex with you. Mm. And it's going to be wonderful. I promise, mm. ladies. Mm. Um other times it's to cook. I love cooking for people. Um, I like pleasuring people. Um, so even with sex, it's like sex has a lot of beneficial properties to it. I mean, it's a stress reliever. It's mm. so many different things. And so as a friend, I can do that for you. Mm. Um, just like if you're hungry, I can cook for you and it's, and it's going to be great. And so that's, that's just where we are. We both, I mean, now this is going to sound a little weird, we're both very proud of each other's intimate skills mm-hmm. and not just the sex part, but the, the compassion, the emotion, you know, of just that part of you our, both our have relationship. Ga- you both have game. Yeah. <laughs> and so we take a little bit of pride when other people desire mm. Each other, because mm. it's like, yeah, that's mine, mm. and not mine in a possessive way, but it's like, oh, I, yeah. I know exactly. Pr- it's a pride. It's thing. a pride yeah. thing. No, it's a pride I, I... thing. And I will, I, I have to say, um, our sex has always been great. It's been 
we've just opened up a new chapter mm. ever since we've 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 been open because what happens is after a while you get used to people you fall into certain habits and everything is great but you're not really being creative mm. you're no longer dating there's a there's a, a monotony that sets in mm-hmm. so when you get into the habit of going on new dates and meeting new people it stimulates you to do new exactly, things. Exactly, exactly. So now you're looking, okay, what are the new hot exhibits in town? Mm. Oh, there was a, there's a, a cool new restaurant that you want to sort of take and impress your date with. Mm. But you come across so many options, you can't use them on your dates. Mm. And you're like, oh, I'll just take, I have a date already. Yeah. And so you end up doing more cool things with your your primary partner anyway. Mm. You know. I'd say it's inter- it's an interesting thing. And, it, it's, uh, and uh, I don't know, I mean, I think... If I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there about you. There's the book. There's a lot. You know, you have hundreds of podcast episodes yeah. and, and 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 stuff like that. And but it for for me, like, kind of looking at you is like there have been multiple paths laid in front of you, but you never really <laughs> took them. You know, you could mm-hmm. have, you know, you could have been that troubled kid that had a hard upbringing and yeah. into crime or whatever. You yeah. you know, you could have been that guy in that suburban home uh-huh. uh, locked within the gated community and, uh-huh. and gained some weight. Yeah. And, <laughs> okay. uh, and, uh, and, and yeah, you end up in a, in an open relationship and now you're here in Prague uh, kind of getting off the path again, because yes. I mean, you told me you've been living for 10 years in New York. Yes. And now you feel that you can't really grow more there. And now you're thinking about relocating to Europe. Yeah. Um, at least, you know, we, we have, you know, we have our, our, our tourist visas that give us, what, 90 days every mm-hmm. 180 days. So that's six months a year. Mm. I can spend six months a year now that everyone is so used to remote work. I can spend six months a year over here, mm. you know, without really doing too much of anything. I have to manage my, my apartment there in New York and, and figure that out. But once I do that... Everything else is fine because my my daughter is an adult. I have no other responsibilities other than um, how do I better myself every day? Mm-hmm. And I've lived all over the United States. I grew up in the West. I have family in the Northwest. That's where my 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 mother's from. I lived in the South. I lived in the Midwest. Um, you know, went to college down south and I live in the Northeast. I've lived and experienced all of America. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the sameness that America is. There's differences regionally, but it's all the same. Um, What's the I, appeal of Europe? I mean, what the appeals? the appeal of Europe is that it's new. Mm. That's that's one of the the appeals is that it's new. Um, there are what thirty countries in an area that's you know kind of the size of the United States, mm. and within those thirty countries, there are dozens of different ethnicities and and, and cultures and and little things, and I love people. Mm. And so I think that all of us and all of these cultures and ethnicities have a small window into reality Mm. and sort of these fundamental truths of the human experience. So I want to go and, and see that. And also, you know, I am an American. I am a capitalist, right? And so there is a part of me that's always looking for who is solving these generic human problems mm. the best? Mm. We all have the same problems everywhere in the world. But we've all found, depending on our resources and our geography, we've all found different 
ways to address these problems. Mm. And so as an American, I'm like, we don't have a culture that this long standing culture, and we've been doing things for 2000, 3000 years. Mm. It's like, no, we're going to take whatever works best and repurpose it, mm. you know? And so that's, that's what I'm doing. Um, obviously Europe, I have, um, I have a business team in, uh, in Greece. So being in Europe aligns me with my, my business team so I can actually, you know, work and, and earn my money, um, that way. Also infrastructure, mm. right? High speed internet and certain things. I, I, I would like to visit other parts of the world and, and spend, you know, lots of time there but I'm sort of bound to certain areas. The time zone, infrastructure. The time zone, the infrastructure, mm-hmm. because that is what I'm using to to make money. I haven't mm-hmm. I haven't taken the leap into entrepreneurship yet. Mm-hmm. My my entrepreneurship is, you know, supporting my girlfriend and my partner be a comedian, mm-hmm. you know, in, in that business model. Um, I dabble with music and I, I do some things there, um, my writings and, and podcasts. Um, but I am a, I am a creature of capitalism, mm. of the machine, mm. and extracting, you know, resources slash money out of the machine. Now I'm going to use it for my own purposes, but I'm kind of tied into that. Mm. So that's kind of why why Europe, um, from a, from a logistics standpoint. But you know, the people and the languages and and just the, the different perspectives. Yeah. Um, Oh. Yeah, one one of the things you know here, because um, I've been going to, to comedy shows for the you know past three weeks, um, is that everyone is kind of racist towards everyone here in Europe, you know, mm. in a in an interesting way. Now I know it's for com- you know comedy, but there's a mm. truth there. Mm. Um, you know, Germans are always going to take shit for the war. Yeah, forever. Forever. Yeah. Um, you know, the English Ru- are, Russians and obviously now making yeah, it even worse. Yeah. You know, the English are always going to be sort of the world villains, yeah. you know, cause they kind of fucked with everybody. Yeah. Um, someone actually made a, made a funny joke about, um, how Austria and Germany, how Austria basically is, is just like Germany in, in all the, like the bad ways that, you know, we, we you know, we know from history, but no one ever talks about Austria mm-hmm. and how the Austrians have sort of were very active players and all of that, yeah. except they offloaded all the guilt on the Germans. and all the blame on the Germans. Yeah. And they're just kind of sitting back like, yeah, yeah, terrible what happened. You know, you, yeah. know. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, polls are, I've, I'm, I'm familiar even with, you know, within American history, I'm familiar with the, sort of the bifurcation between, let's say, Northwest Europe mm. and Southeast Europe and sort of the historic tensions there. Um, that actually sort of burst my bubble growing up in the United States about what racism is and sort of the the genesis of that and mm. what's really going on there. But I, I just like the fact that it is sort of a rowdy, you know, mash of cultures living in this small space and... Um, tumultuous past you know notwithstanding um people have carved out what i think is a is a pretty solid society of where um the emphasis on how do we how do we provide the basics for the humans that we're responsible mm. for how do we 
build and foster better community. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you may not necessarily, as an individual, you may not have some of the top-end opportunities that we may have in the United States. But, you know, we talked about this the other day. It's like, you know, living in America is like um, owning a Rolls-Royce and renting an apartment. Yeah. Exactly. You know, exactly. yeah, it's like, eh, are those the right priorities? Yeah. Mm, I don't know. Versus, you know, you own your house and or your flat and, you know, you have Take that your and, vacations. And, yeah. And you and you ride public transportation. Yeah. You know, now to an American, not having a car is like, oh, my God. What's wrong? Yeah. yeah. But again, would you rather own a car? Or would you rather own real estate? Mm. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you can sleep in the house, not in the car. Well, you can sleep in the <laughs> well, car. You can. A, a lot, lot of people, people are. Do, actually, yeah. A lot of people are, yeah. But, um, um, yeah, I I uh, think I didn't talk about any of the stuff that I wrote down here on the paper, which is fine, because we spoke about a lot of other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, give me the book again, the name of the book. It's called Inner, Demon, uh, Inner Demons Blazing a Path to Happiness. And where do people find it? You can find it on Amazon, Um yeah, Barnes and Noble. That's an American company. It's a, I would it's, say yeah, Amazon. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a good read, guys. It's um because it's um it. I was surprised how much you remember, like how how much you could recall and stuff. It's a curse. Yeah, but it, it was it, it's a really good read. And then your podcast is called Talking Shit. Talking shit. And that uh, talking an S and then star. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and I'll but I'll put links to all this on on yeah. the episode description. I'll, I'll give a, I'll give a little summary about about the book obviously I, it's from year five to like 35 in my life and even though i'm using my stories it's not really about me no it's a it's a character mm. you know it was me but it's a character and you're, you're you're watching a person try to find themselves and you're watching a person have experiences and one of the things that i wanted to do in the book i didn't want to say you know I did this and I did that and look at, you know, the great things I did. I wanted to take people into the mind state. Mm-hmm. Like I found myself in this situation. I had these traumas and these motivations that I brought into it. These are the decisions that I made based on the information that I had. And this is what happened. Mm-hmm. So this is the experience of living mm-hmm. and the experience of learning tough lessons and how that changes a person. Um, because I really wanted to just, I want to use my stories as a way to talk about a lot of the the universal themes that, that we all deal with, like insecurities, mm. family, mm. love. And you're very honest with all this in there. You know, yeah, I'm not, a, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a good, I'm not a good guy in this book. Mm. Um, I, I don't shy away from saying the things that I did wrong. Mm. You know, when you were being selfish and when I was or, being selfish, yeah. when I was being manipulative, when I was mm. so even <laughs> going back to Otis, one of the difficult things um, for me to categorize that as as abuse is that um, I was aware of all the things that I was in all the ways I was being disobedient. Mm. You know, I know all the ways that I was in the shit. So. Part of me understands that, yeah, I deserve some type of discipline and, and punishment. Maybe not what I got, mm. but I do realize I was, quote unquote, a bad kid in in a lot of ways. I wasn't a bad kid. There are very few real bad kids. Um, but yeah, it's just the experience of these things and what happens to a person as they experience and deal with trauma. Mm. 
Are yeah. you happy that you didn't kill Otis? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and not even just not even just for how that would have changed my life, but it's an overreaction. Mm-hmm. Um, the situation didn't deserve that. It didn't. It didn't deserve that. Um, he wasn't. He wasn't an evil man. Mm. He was just small. Yeah. I when I was, I didn't kill him, but I did want to kick his ass. Mm. And I, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna kill him. But when I get big enough, okay, oh ass. yeah, we're gonna have this. We're gonna have this conversation. And I remember the, I remember the day I came home because he was doing some handyman shit around the house. And it was always kind of ticked me off. I would come home and he would be there. And I was about 15 or 16, and I'm like, oh yeah, I, I think we can, we Seven might have that now, conversation. Yeah. Oh. And I thought about it, mm. and I'm like. Yeah, I, I probably could beat his ass. He was in his 50s at this time. And I'm like, then what? Mm. How does that improve? How does that improve? Mm. What what does that add to my life? Exactly. Yeah, and it didn't add anything. Mm. It would have taken away. I would have been in trouble, you know, whatever. Um, and I realized, I'm like, wait, who who is it that I'm upset at? I'm upset at a guy who whose life has basically ended up with him being a handyman for his ex-wife who to pay off his debt to pay off his debt who won't who won't get back with him. Yeah. He doesn't even deserve your He doesn't deserve uh, it. Uh, and that was one of the first lessons that I that I really learned. Mm. Um that I, I shouldn't say one of the first. There's 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 a ton of lessons, but that was a that was a key lesson in dealing with sort of my anger and my need for revenge mm. and, and and all of that. It's, it's like what's the outcome? What's the outcome? What is it worth? Mm. What am I actually gonna get out of it? Mm. Um so no, I'm I'm very happy that I that I didn't kill him. I'm very happy that he found peace within himself. Mm. You know, he and my mother talked all the time and he what she relays back to me, he's, he's uh, since died, um, that he was sorry. Mm. And that he was also very proud of me. Um, he was proud of the man that I became, the things that I accomplished. Um, and he was sorry for his missteps and, 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 just sort of the, the small mindedness that he he brought to the equation, mm. um, but there was never—I shouldn't say never—but there was no real ill will behind it, mm. and so he just wasn't better. He just wasn't a you know better, mm. but he got better. Mm. We you know um, we helped me my uh, my sister and I we helped him stop smoking. Mm-hmm. He was a smoker, and we helped him stop smoking cigarettes. Mm. You know, so you actually stopped him from killing himself. Yeah. Not only did you stop yourself from killing him. Yeah. So, you know, we, we stopped him from smoking. And because, you know, we were very religious, he started going to church more. And he, mm. he you know, got into that. And he um, he eventually became, you know, a minister and, you know, and, and so on. And I like to think that our time in his life had a positive benefit mm. as well. Mm. Now, I never liked him. Um, My mother told me he died like it was maybe... 18 months, two years after the fact. And I was like, wait, Otis is dead? She was like, yeah, I didn't tell you. And I'm like, I don't know. You probably did. I maybe just blanked it out. Mm. I never liked him. I still don't like him. Mm. But I don't have to like him to 
understand and appreciate the importance, the importance in the yeah. in, in, in the character. And yeah. I think that's I think that's an important lesson we all should 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 maybe consider that you have your personal feelings about things. Mm-hmm. You know, we're animals and we're triggered by certain. And things. then there is some rational reality. There's the aspiration of who you want to be mm. and who you are striving to be. Mm. And it's okay to recognize your anger and your animosity and all these negative things. And sometimes that's enough. I think a lot of times what we really need is just an acknowledgement. Mm. You know, yes, you're angry. You have a right to be, you know, upset and bothered by this thing that happened to you, this thing that didn't happen, whatever. How are you now going to use that? Are you going to continue to be sad and saying what you didn't have? Or are you going to build on it? And are you going to build on it? Mm. And so, yeah, Otis is cool. Oh. These are the final words here, Rock. Oh, I left it on Otis. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, guys, uh, thanks for listening and uh, Rock, thanks for coming. Uh, you're going off to Barcelona. We're going off to Barcelona, for and then weeks. you're going to be back here in the autumn. Looking forward. Yes, um, maybe August, definitely yeah. September. We're going to be back. For any potential dates, then you know Rock is going to be back. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm doing a little bit of publishing here for you. Man. Looking forward to yeah. it. Okay, thanks. Thank you, man. <laughs>